Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Fabiola Santiago. I am an MBI alumni and a guest host today. I'm also a part-time single mother and a cultural worker committed to systems change. My guest today is Ariana Tabuada. Ariana is a founder of The Expecting Entrepreneur, a consulting firm that helps entrepreneurs design parental leave plans that meet their business models and personal needs. Ariana speaks and writes about parental leave and respectful maternity care as an issue of social justice, human rights, and economic equity. She is the author of The Expecting Entrepreneur, her first solo authored book. Welcome, Mariana. I'm so excited for a conversation and uplifting your work. Thank you for being here with me. It's going to be really fun to have this conversation. Yeah. So before we dive into our conversation, I want to share with our listeners a little bit of our story and how we got here. I'll start by introducing Ariana, and then Ariana can fill in some of the gaps. So we met around 2008, 2009 at UCLA. We were both undergrads and aspiring public health professionals. And we participated in a program to prepare us for the public health field. And a few years ago, we reconnected in the movement to expand paid family and medical leave. Ariana, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you first got into this work and any gaps that you want to fill, fill up? Sure. So it's funny because before we hit record, we were both trying to recall exactly what year and <laughs> like it's over a decade ago, long time. But a lot of what we talked about in, in that health pathways to health professionals program was still, I think, are things that guide our work. And so after, after UCLA, I became a public health social worker. And so after, UCLA, I became a public health social worker and worked primarily in safety net settings. So I was working in community health centers, federally qualified health centers, mostly with folks who were uninsured or underinsured and, and worked primarily around that emerging family stage. So perinatal health, early childhood and connecting, working with families to not just think about the Know, physical health resources that were needed, but also things like housing and, <laughs> and food security and mental health. And so if you've worked in kind of the community health or safety net settings field, you'll, you might recall that a big thing at the time was on integrated care. So co-locating services. And so I was working with folks who tended to, to be experiencing parental leave and really experienced the kind of glaring gap in uh, paid leave policy and in really any valuable infrastructure around a new family. And so when I went into private practice, I, I wanted to stay curious about that theme, that particular life transition. And I started noticing that I actually was working primarily with self-employed folks, business owners, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and this theme of the challenge of kind of figuring out 
work and finances and health postpartum just kept on coming up. And so eventually I, I honed in around 2015 on specifically working with people during pregnancy to prepare for parental leave. And that is still the work I do today and, and the topic of the book that just came out. Sweet. Thank you for all that. Yeah. Well, as a mother myself, it's interesting how paid family leave is not something that came up for me until I became pregnant. And even then, I think I was doing independent contracts and I I just defaulted to not even looking for resources and seeing what I qualified for. And it's also because of the state of paid family and medical leave in the United States. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what does paid family medical leave look like in the U.S.? Sure. And feel free to jump in with your own knowledge. I know you have deep expertise in this area. But the U.S. is one of, it is the only industrialized country that does not have a national paid leave program. And and that's in spite of pretty strong public support across the political spectrum and across families of all types and businesses of all types for in support of paid family leave. And so in the absence of a federal paid leave policy, what we do have is the Family Medical Leave Act, which came into play in 93 under the Clinton administration. And that sets up what people might have been, might be familiar with in terms of this 12 weeks of unpaid protected time away from your job. However, there are lots of caveats. And so there are kind of a set of criteria that you need to, to actually qualify for those FMLA criteria. And, and that includes things like being at a company for more than a year, being at a company that has more than 50 people. And there's tons of folks that do not fall into that, right? So anyone who's a gig worker or self-employed, a lot of low wage workers are not included in in are covered by paid family medical leave. Some states have tried to fill the gap. So there's nine states, California, Connecticut, Colorado, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Washington state, as well as DC that have state level programs or policies. And some they're in different stages of rolling those out. So sometimes they're kind of hard to navigate. And like you were mentioning, like you didn't even really know what, what benefits you could have access to. And that is the case for a lot of people. Yeah, that was definitely the case for me. It, 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 and having worked in paid family leave for a couple of years, I think that was the most common experience and complaint is that it was incredibly bureaucratic. And these are from folks who are English speaking, like are able to navigate technology, are able to navigate and read, you know, paperwork. And in spite of all that, it's, it was still such a headache. So it is an issue that I that really does affect mostly people who give birth. And it's actually something that, in my opinion, all humans should care about, right? Because the care the, the well being of a of a child and of a parent, a new parent, is also a social responsibility, which now takes us to a following question, which is like in the absence of quality paid family leave in the US, what are some of the things that we can be thinking about as people who are working towards building businesses for the benefit of all life? Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm still, my brain is still like 
fixated on what you just said of of the very fact that we will all need care or give care or need to receive care at some point in our life. And so paid family and medical leave is kind of this key policy opportunity to to be able to create infrastructure around that human reality. <laughs> and so I think some of the things that we can be thinking about, as you mentioned, as, as people who are thinking about the next economy, is whether or not we're at that particular stage in, in our life, or whether or not you personally want to grow your family, that trope around needing care or giving care still remains true. And so I think even just having it on your radar, <laughs> that paid leave is a, is a policy worth advocating for, can be an important place to start. And we know that life transitions, like pregnancy, like becoming a parent, like starting a business are really key drivers for change and windows for opportunity. And that in a similar way, if we want to, if we want to do business differently, we need to build infrastructure and community around that. And so if we want to do leave differently, we need to build infrastructure and community around that. And there, like we mentioned, there's like very weak infrastructure right now, but that also means that there's a real opportunity for innovation. And so I, I love hearing stories and elevating stories about what people across industries, across family structures, how they have figured it out because, you know, people have to figure it out. <laughs> A lot of times business owners feel like their business is their first baby in some ways. And so you, you want it to survive and thrive. And, and you also want to be able to do that for your personal family life. And so learning, I think, from what other people have done is always really exciting and beneficial and, you know, keeps us from reinventing the wheel. And in the book, I try and weave in a lot of case studies and stories because I think that, that that's one of the main ways we, we learn is from other people's lived experience. And that can also give us some really concrete ideas if we start to see themes and patterns around what is kind of a universal need that actually could be solved for uh, not on an individual one by one case by case basis, but could it be solved for at a more systems level? Yeah, we'll definitely touch a little bit on the on the story piece of this and sharing our experiences. And I also want to take some time to focus on the, the areas of work that you're you're doing right now, which is supporting business owners in their parental leave planning. Um, I'm wondering if you can share some concrete strategies that you have in the book. Sure. So I think one of the most fun things about parental leave planning and kind of being very strategic about it is that it's, you get to nerd out around like business, key business aspects, but it's also deeply personal. And so I think at the highest level, that is really what I try and focus on and offer up in terms of strategies that there, yes, there are strategies that are really concretely about what your business needs to survive. And there are also strategies that are about what you personally need and what what your hopes, wishes, and dreams are for this chapter of your life, and that there's an opportunity to integrate the two. So I think I'll, I can touch on three specific strategies here just briefly. And the first is business operations. So 
I often see pregnancy being kind of a forcing function of getting people to really get their operations house in order, if you will. So going through standard operating procedures, documenting or updating documents that maybe are always at the bottom of the to-do list, having people besides you learn how to do some of the key operational aspects of your business so that you can begin to hand off and delegate and have that support from you know, whether it's people on your team or contractors or building out the infrastructure to be able to bring people on. The second thing is about financial planning. Most business owners are in, you know, to put it, to put it plainly, you're figuring out how to fund your own leave, right? And so if you happen to live in one of those nine states or DC, I think a starting point is often figuring out, do I qualify for any of these state level benefits? Can I access these benefits? And that's usually a project. It involves paperwork. It involves like spending a lot of time on these state level websites, which are not very user friendly, but I think it is a worthwhile investment if you can actually have some financial cushion from it. On the other side, you know, there, there's the reality that for most, most people in the country that don't have state level programs, you are quite literally, you know, looking at your personal finances, looking at your business finances, really figuring out where the wiggle room is and where you may need to shift expenses in the business or shift expenses in your personal life and, and also think about what, what opportunities there are in the time leading up to your leave that you can bring in the cash flow to provide yourself with, with the time off that you deserve. <laughs> and lastly, I'll land it at building support systems. And this is really at both the kind of community level, the personal relationships, and also at the professional level and thinking about what people in your network can help you personally or can help you on the business front. And people want to help. (laughs) And so sometimes it's really figuring out what are the ways that people could help that would actually feel most supportive for me and being able to articulate those and make specific asks. Yeah. Thank you for for those three tips to think about and consider. I'm actually more curious about the building the support system because it feels like part of the reason why we don't have quality paid family leave is because of the values that we have in the U.S. and the culture that the, the U.S. culture, which, you know, is very individualistic. And when it comes to experiencing major life transitions, like pregnancy and like birthing, it can be a very isolating experience, which can be mentally and emotionally challenging. And so I'm also wondering if you can share why mental health, such as like grief, depression, are parts that we need to reshape our relationship with and how that fits into the building support systems. You can share about your personal experiences or pull some of the experiences that you share in the book. I know it's very, it has a healthy amount of case studies and stories, which really keeps the reader entertained and is a way for us to not feel so alone in our own experiences. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you can't see us if you're listening, but I'm nodding my head to everything you're saying, Fabi, because It is such a juxtaposition of the kind of narrative of the U.S. being family and values oriented. And then the reality is that there are very few family oriented policies and and the policies that do exist are really not universal and don't actually create much concrete support for for families. So, I mean, I can share that personally, one of the biggest 
challenges for me was this whole like reconciliation of who I, who I was pre becoming a mother and, and who I was after. And that requiring so much more processing than I could have imagined. And I remember I, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist by training. And so I was like reading a lot of books and trying to like be as prepared and knowledgeable as I could be. And my provider just looked at me one day and was like, you cannot birth this baby with your brain. Like, I think you have to kind of, you know, quiet and down and start to really think about like, what is it that you intuitively or kind of intrinsically know about this next chapter and who you can become in this next chapter? Like you, and she was, but I mean, <laughs> I could not think my way into who I wanted to be as a parent. I could, I, so I basically put down all books and was like, I'm going to walk around in nature. I'm going to just like be slow and, you know, waddle around and think. And that really dramatically shifted how I really entered into parenthood. And it's something that I, you know, I still identify as pretty type A, I guess, but yeah, motherhood kind of 200% notched down my type A-ness because there's just so much that's uncontrollable, which has been really interesting to see how that's actually been a benefit in my day-to-day work life. <laughs> yeah. So when I was working on paid family leave a few years ago, I was connecting quite a bit with new parents and and caregivers. And one thing that I found interesting was all the unexpected experiences. Like I think we romanticize parenthood and maybe motherhood more specifically, I should say. I mean, you know, we know that like not everybody who, is, who births is a mother and, you know, a lot of people like that's just the narratives that we have, but we have, we've romanticized it so much and it doesn't give us space or it doesn't prepare us for all the, like the unexpected circumstances that we faced because I think when we're talking about paid family leave, we also have to remember the maternal mortality and like maternal health outcomes that exist in the United States and how they're not favorable at all. And we're like far really low, like we're not doing well as a as a country. And that actually had like people are actually having those experiences where they have an unexpected, you know, an emergency cesarean or they have other health conditions that come up that they weren't expecting or the child is born, the baby is born with like a health condition and all these things they're because they're unplanned for. They also can leave families and people who give birth in shock because it's not what they envisioned or not what they had in mind. And I know that was my experience as well. I had a really good physical pregnancy, like I was like up and running at 40 weeks. It was, it was easy, but it was emotionally and mentally difficult. And to find resources or to build a support system around that was really incredibly difficult. And I've also been thinking a little bit more about how like we don't talk about the transition of motherhood and that identity piece that you shared at the beginning, right? Where it is a huge shift and maybe we talk about it, but we don't talk about the details of like what it means and how it exists within like mental health in general. Is there maybe a story that you'd like to uplift from the book or from your personal experience that touches on on a little bit of that? And 
you know, outside of the strategies that you've mentioned for supporting business owners, like what, yeah, what are some of the other ways that we can show up for each other? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yes to everything you said. I think while you were running around at 40 weeks, I was just like lying on my cold tiled bathroom floor trying to... trying to like stay awake or something. So there's, there's experiences across the spectrum for sure. And I think when it comes to mental health, there is a huge stigma just in talking about mental health. And with parenthood, there's this like additional layer of stigma that somehow having mental health or needs or kind of big emotions is like not compatible with being a a quote unquote good parent. And when the reality is that one in four families is going to experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorders. So that means like, if you know four people, one of them, one of them has had a hard time and it might be you. And, and so something that sticks out for me is actually something else my provider said, which, which really helped me normalize the, the range of emotions that can be experienced and that, and that is a normal range. And what she said to me was, and this is probably honestly rooted in, in indigenous midwifery traditions in the region I gave birth in Quintana Roo, Mexico. But she, she told me about La Pequeña Muerte, which is this concept that it's the little death of the English translation would be. And so that is a concept that is like known and understood by indigenous midwives and, and other midwives who have learned from them that, that in order to give birth, you're giving birth to a baby, but also to this new self. And in order for this new self to emerge, a part of you has to die. It's a little death of the person that you were. And, and I remember being like, Oh, that, that, yes, I feel sad. I miss the person that I was. I miss what my life was like. I miss how I spent my time. And yes, I feel happiness and joy, but there's this like, also this thread of grief and it's constant and not being, not wanting to share that with others or not being sure how to talk about it is I think really challenging. And if we only knew that that that's normal and that lots of people feel that way and that it doesn't make you a bad parent or it doesn't make you, it doesn't mean that you're like having major mental health problems, but that you are experiencing a normal big wave of different emotions that, that a transition like this is inherently going to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. When I read that part of the La Pequeña Muerte, it made so much sense. I am Zapotec from Oaxaca, Mexico. So pretty strong, pretty, pretty culturally rooted in that. And, and still I hadn't heard of that. And that's largely because like the state of maternal health in Oaxaca for indigenous folks is, is just as bad as it is out here in the United States, right? We just don't have the infrastructure that we need. And so much of our traditional ways have been shamed and we've assimilated. So anyways, there's th- that could be a whole nother topic. But, but reading that in your book, I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly what it is. It is a little death. It's like you can't give life without also like having a, a some form of death. And I think that especially in American and US work culture, where we're just supposed to like bounce back and just go back to normal is such a disservice. And if anything, I do want listeners to just remember that 
to normalize the range of emotions, right? Because so many, so many times like we get shamed for that. And I'm like, that doesn't help us in, in our transition. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing a little bit of your experience. I hope that listeners, yeah, I, I know that they're getting gems from this and also wanted to give you a moment to, for you to share like, what do you need right now? And how can listeners help you build the next economy? Thanks for asking. I think right now, I am really figuring out now that there's a book out in the world, which potentially can, well, can definitely reach way more people than I ever could as like a one-on-one solo practitioner. Like what, what are the places and communities where a resource like that would make sense to offer up? Like what, you know, are there places? I'm curious about what places, whether it's entrepreneurship groups or parenting groups, could use the book, share it. And so if you have ideas, I would love to hear them. (laughs) And I'm reachable on the book website, which is theexpectingentrepreneur.com. Yeah. And and how else can people find out about your work? So there's theexpectingentrepreneur.com. There is. The, that's the best way. There, my personal website is arianatabuada.com. I know it's not an easy name to intuitively know how to spell. So check out the show notes if you want the link to that. And I mean, I'm on social media, so we can find each other there as well. Great. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Ariana. I enjoyed having this conversation with you. And I'm so glad that, you know, a few years later, after we're both kind of working in paid family medical leave, we're still able to have these conversations and continue to push these issues forward, right? And like raise awareness and in the absence of quality paid family leave, like so grateful for the work that you're doing to help build the next economy which is amazing. And then I, I want to end with with the question just because there's there's a lot of heavy information here. And because we're human, I always like to humanize the people who are also doing the work. And I wanted to ask you, what is bringing you joy in your life, in your family life, and outside of your family life? Yeah. So in my family life, my, I have a kindergartner who is learning how to read. And that is really joyful because it's, it's just fun to all of a sudden realize and see in real time someone like learning how to understand things on a whole new different level. And, you know, he'll read like things on the TV and things, labels on cans. And it's just hilarious to, to turn around and be like, you know, see someone working really intently, looking at a can of beans really intently, trying to sound out the words. <laughs> and outside family life, I have, for work, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about shifting how we think about impact. And that has been a fabulous kind of exploration and curiosity that I've really been leaning into. I mean, we're both trained in public health, which has some particular ways that you are taught to think about change and transformation and impact and how you measure it. And I just know for the next chapter of my work, I I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to keep on doing that same, those same things and that there are other ways and other possibilities in terms of, of being able to talk about the way that transformation and change happens. So I'm really excited about that. Yes, that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, Yes. Redefining impact. Plus one on that one. (laughs) (laughs) 
What about you? What's bringing you joy? For family life, Camilo, my little one, also four and a half, loves to dance. And I think if I didn't do such social justice work and like just, you know, broadly speaking, I'm like, I wish I had resources as a child. My family had resources as a child to put me like in all these dance classes. So I'm having such a blast just like putting on music with and and dancing with my little one and like trying to choreograph stuff. We are awful, but it's so much fun. (laughs) So that that's the joyful family life part. And then outside of that, I'm also finally, you know, to, to kind of go back a little bit to like the transition, I'm starting to feel like you know, as Camilo, my little one is growing as a little bit of independence. And so I'm feeling really curious about like, wow, what does and end as a, as a part-time single parent, having some time, like a, a few nights a week to myself, like, Ooh, what can I do with this? So I'm feeling really curious about how to balance out the parent life, mother life, and like solo, like single mom, young person. I think I'm young. <laughs> You're young, you're young. <laughs> so yeah, I just interesting, like, what can I get into? Like, what's fun? What's adventurous? Like hanging out with with friends by myself, solo dinners and dates and, all, you know, all this stuff. I'm finding a lot of joy in that and it's feeling good. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Cool. Well, Ariana, it's been such a pleasure again. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We hope that y'all find this really informative and helpful for your businesses and also for your lives personally. Okay. We'll catch y'all next time. Thanks. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.